On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we're exploring the finer points of bus sex in Camden Town in Apple's new show, Trying, experiencing a technological afterlife complete with in-app purchases in Amazon's Upload, bringing Danny Mays back to life in Sky's Code 404, investigating a kidnapping with Kobe Smulders in Stumptown, and discovering what Ted Hastings has been doing while furloughed in Series 2 of Channel 5's Blood. I'm James Dyer and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, a show that has spent so much time in 10th century Wessex over the past week that, honestly, by this point, I must now be an honorary Viking. And so, joining us as we venture deep into Dane law are my two Saxon co-hosts. First, our very own Queen Ethelfled, Lady of Mercia. She may not have much time for Vikings, but she's still a massive Canute. It's Terry White. <laughs> Every week, how do you manage to find a new way to talk gibberish and Viking with my name? It's a gift. It is, it a, is gift. a gift. I mean, let's call it, let's call it a gift, shall we? <laughs> Although, please note, like this time, I, I was going to go for a full-on, you know, Danish introduction, but I have done it once before, so I felt I would take a Saxon one this time because I thought, you know, we don't want to be repetitive. <laughs> yeah, God, for, God forbid. God forbid, indeed. Uh, and also, I should mention with us is Pilot TV's very own Father Bayoka, sage advisor to kings, queens, and an assortment of random celebrities. It's Boyd Hilton. Hello, Boyd. Hi. Yes, you should mention. Yes, thanks. Um, <laughs> next week's uh, question, who is the best TV Viking? Only you will have any knowledge yes. of it. Oh, and we'll I really look forward to that. It. That would be great. Mm, yeah. Who is the best TV Viking? It's uh, it's interesting. Uh, I'm glad you asked, Boyd, because there's, a, there's a, a number of Viking characters cross over between The Last Kingdom and Vikings. The history of oh, Vikings. Okay. I mean, I say cross over, they're mentioned in passing. Eva, right. the boneless. Uh, who you'll remember, Terry, from when we reviewed Vikings, the one who crawls along the floor. He is mentioned yes. in The Last Kingdom. So, yes. You know, good stuff. So, I mean, we should jump straight into what we've been watching. And what I have been watching is, and I shit you not, nine fucking hours of The Last Kingdom. I have watched it almost nonstop <laughs> since they made it available to me. And at this point, the lines between reality and, and frankly, living as a Viking are blurring for me. It's been a challenge. Now, we reviewed this. Remind me, did you like this or did you hate it? I can't remember. Do you even remember? I think I was... Did I like it? No. No, no, no. I think I didn't. <laughs> yeah, I don't I'm think, I don't think we liked it. I'm going to say I didn't. Yeah. I think we thought it was a fine, but we didn't think it was like... I, didn't, I don't think we thought it was that special, but you know. You didn't appreciate yeah. it for the modern masterpiece that it clearly is. No. It started no. on BBC Two, didn't it? It started on BBC Two. Yeah, yeah, it? and now it's yeah. moved to Netflix. Yeah, and, so three yeah. was on Netflix, and this season four is now on Netflix. Yeah. See, it's because they're based on the Saxon Chronicles by Bernard Cornwell, and uh, each season tends to take two of the books, which is why they have a slightly odd sort of structure to them. Because they, they like you got the first half of the season is one book, the second half is the next one. So this season, this season four is the Pagan Lord and the Empty Throne. Those are the two books that it uh, that it tackles, and a bunch of new people in it. Stephanie Martini is in it as the Lady Edith. You may remember her from playing a young Jane Tennyson in Prime Suspect 1973. Did you see that? Yep. Well, anyway, yep. that was her. Lord Airdwolf, Jamie Blackley is in this, uh, who you will, of course, remember from, I don't know, 
He was in Catch-22, I think, and a few other bits and bobs. Uhtred has a daughter in this, Stiora, played by Ruby Hartley. She's, she's grown up a little bit. There is <laughs> my favourite new character, Sigtriga, <laughs> who is played by Eistina Sigurdsson, who, Boyd, you will, of course, know as Laszlo in Devs. But he plays uh, a new Viking warlord oh, who yeah. looks, I'll be honest, a lot like a member of Whitesnake, but then I suppose that could be said of a lot of them. Um, but that's uh, but that's quite a lot of fun. But yeah, there's, there's a lot of fun new people in this, lots of stuff going on. Young Uhtred is now played by Finn Elliot, uh, you remember Terry, young Prince Philip from The Crown in series I two do, and three. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So he's young Uhtred in this. But it's it's loads of fun. It feels a little bit unfocused. <laughs> I think at the beginning of this, it takes some slightly odd turns, but it really gets into its groove. So I watched the first one. I was a bit like, oh yeah, okay, this maybe isn't such a good season. And then nine hours later, I was like, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm definitely loving this. So uh, yes, big big fan of The Last Kingdom. I would say if you've seen the first three seasons, you should definitely watch this. And if you've seen none of the seasons. Frankly, you've got nothing better to do at the moment. I suggest whacking on Netflix and watching all four seasons back to back. I think 40 hours of Vikings is perfect, perfect use of your lockdown. Um, you would please know I also watched a lot of Bosch over the last week. I'm near the end of Bosch as well. Uh, and I found time to catch up with The Walking Dead, and I'm now up to date with that. So I've seen everything apart from, I think, everything apart from the finale, which is being aired at some point when civilization resumes. But uh, Walking Dead was quite good. Lots more Samantha Morton fun in there. I do like The Walking Dead. I know I'm the only one, but I do like it. It is just me, isn't it? You're more or less yeah. the only mm, one. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, yeah. So I've watched a lot of telly this week. A lot. Most of it involving zombies or Vikings. And none of it. A, re- a rewatch. It's all, it's all actual I know. kind of new stuff. I am, I'm bereft of rewatch stuff at the moment. I'm, I'm taking my time before I start another one because I feel like, you know, it, it becomes something of a project. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm pausing, pausing the rewatch. Good. Trying to catch up on new stuff. And there's so much of it. I'm behind on so much shit. So I'll do that first. Terry, what have you been watching? I mean, I hate to ask this question, but go on. Hit me well, with it. I see your uh, nine hours of Viking shit, and I raise you a <laughs> twelve hours of Line of Duty. So mm. I I rewatched the Hang first. Hang on, you can do a rewatch. That's oh, a rewatch. Yes, I can. But you re- you rewatch everything, and the point isn't that you rewatch; <laughs> it's that you talk about it for nine months because apparently <laughs> you, it takes you nine months to rewatch it. I, went off, I got pregnant, went off and had a baby, came back to work, and you were still rewatching the same show. That was the point. <laughs> anyway, I it, as is kind of of my addictive insane personality watched all of one uh series one of line of duty in one sleepless night and uh watched the second in another now haven't watched them since the time mm. and obviously lenny james is in the first series um which you just forget how brilliant it was and how kind of radical it was in that the gray areas of whether he was a bent copper or just a good copper who'd got himself into a mess and then the complete change in season two with Keely Hawes, where it just felt like a completely different thing, but also enough of the same to be just as compelling. And I'm really excited to get to season three this weekend. And presumably by Sunday afternoon, I'll have watched the entire thing. But I also watched the entire first season of Blood in in advance of us talking about the second season. So I won't spoil that. Um, I also watched... Um, not at my insistence, at my boyfriend's insistence, he was like, oh, there's this thing on iPlayer called I am a men's rights activist. Do you want to watch it? And obviously my, you know, initial reaction about a documentary called I am a men's rights activist should have been to say no. But I thought, fuck it. Why the hell not? We're in lockdown. What else are we going to do? 
So I watched this documentary called I'm a Men's Rights Activist. Apart from we had to turn it off, um, I think about 20 minutes in because, and it was only, I think, 25 minutes, but uh, because it made me want to throw my own telly and my own body out of the window. <laughs> so if, you, if, you, if you're a woman and you'd like to feel rage unlike anything you've ever felt, then you should watch I'm a Men's Rights Activist on BBC iPlayer. So it's as awful as it sounds because it sounds hateful. It's just it's just infuriating because imagine those those people on on Twitter. Imagine them on your telly. <laughs> Who wants that? See, the problem is, is what you've just described is my entire attitude towards reality television. <laughs> well, it's just not re- why it's would a- I invite these people into my home? It's not reality television. It's a documentary, James. I mean, that is, but I'm saying that. So just when I was relate. on Netflix looking at The Last Kingdom, you know how it auto plays trailer type yeah. of things uh it started playing something for something called too hot to handle and uh, <laughs> oh, and this started oh, playing brilliant. and so i watched i watched <gasps> as that as that played out on my screen for like about a full four minutes and be like who what is the what is the slice what is the segment the demographic of the population that is watching this shit i a don't lot. understand a lot of it's really Netflix chart. Yeah, huge. Yeah, it's but really it's just popular. deeply stupid people being deeply stupid. Oh my god. But that's the show, isn't it, essentially? <laughs> it's that show has got the genuinely cunning this is the their version of Love Island, which obviously you watch yes. regularly. And oh, the cunning twist. Did you work out did you, in in the first in the minute? Did you work out the cunning twist? The cunning twist is they've gathered all these beautiful hunky people to this island, basically somewhere. Or the the idiots you're referring to, they gather them all, all these beautiful people in their bikinis and swimming costumes, ready to have sex with each other at a moment's notice. And the twist is that an Alexa type device that is telling giving them orders tells them they cannot touch each other, kiss, have any kind of sexual interaction whatsoever. And it's all about that. It's all about the fact that they can't do anything with each other rather than Love Island, which encourages them to do stuff with each other. Do they know that before they go on? No, they didn't know that at all. They thought they were going on a dating show, like Love Island, basically. And they are all devastated and furious. And they also cannot um, amuse themselves, if I could put it that way. Allah, and you know the inspiration for this show? Interestingly, genuinely, the producer said that one of the inspirations for the show was the episode of The Contest, the Seinfeld episode, where they I could not masturbate. It was, genuinely. And she was like, oh, let's so turn this into a reality show. they're all masters of their own domain. Yeah, they're all masters of their domain. Well, of course, they're not, because they all none of them can do it. None of them can hold out so they just lose loads of prize money as it goes along not that i'm saying i've watched every episode but yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh god but so i've been watching a bit enough. of that yeah yeah thank you for uh filling me in as it were um <laughs> can i just say so so did either of you watch uh the big night in yes of course yeah yeah see when you mentioned it uh, mm. On our WhatsApp trip, I genuinely had to look up what it was because I had never heard of it. Of course you did. Of course you did. Which gives you yeah. an idea of just how divorced I am from you know everything. But the uh, real yeah, world. So, the real world. Mm. Yeah, I had no idea what it was, so I had to I had to check. But uh, but I did find out that it was it, it was huge, wasn't it? Like, and it was viewed yeah. by apparently six point six point six six million people, which is of course the number of the beast, uh, which perhaps <laughs> oh, shows that this is indeed the apocalypse that we're living through. Yeah, I mean, across you, its- you've been like, guys, loads of people in this country watched a telly event. Did you know? It's just like everything about yeah. your personality. Thanks. Yeah. But that was, the, it was, let me just say, the, the Little Britons um, thing that Matt and David did was was uh, was lovely. And it was, it was, it was great. That was the kind of the climax of the whole thing. The first time they've been, they've done anything together for 10 years. Obviously, they weren't in the same room, but they, they coped with that. They dealt with it brilliantly. And they dealt with the fact that they couldn't have makeup and hair and costume and all of that really well. They, they made their own costume. Costumes and stuff, um, 
uh, in their bedrooms, and it was lovely. Sounds fabulous. Well, the other thing that I did this week is I managed to get on the phone with Captain Picard. So I spoke to Patrick Stewart at length. We did a proper in-depth spoiler special interview for Star Trek Picard, which, as you can imagine, I rather enjoyed. And yes, in many ways, it was me talking at Patrick Stewart about Star Trek Picard for half an hour and then saying thanks for listening and hanging up. <laughs> but um, but yes, that was really, really good. Very much enjoyed that. That was basically the amount of people who've asked me to do a spoiler special for Picard were huge. So that is now in the bag. We're going to record the second part of that. Uh, I think early next week it will be up next week. It will, unfortunately, be. It is an Empire pilot co-production so once again it is on the empire spoiler special channel which is a subscription channel if you do want to sign up as i said you can cancel at any time um you can sign up at glow.fm slash empire film um our mandalorian ones are on there our save me spoiler special is on there too and the picard one but the picard one will be very much worth listening to and that will be out i say next week as this podcast goes out it will be this week so it'll be up in a couple of days uh, which will be very exciting and i will say if you do already subscribe to the empire spoiler special uh channel we would very much like to hear what you think of it and if you don't already subscribe to it we want to hear what you think and why it doesn't interest you as well so if you wouldn't mind heading over to empireonline.com slash podcast survey and filling that out we would love to hear your thoughts on the service again whether or not you use it or not uh we'd like to hear it and as a sort of thank you as a thank you for filling that out we will enter you into a prize draw to win two hundred pounds in amazon vouchers uh that is empireonline.com slash podcast survey boyd what have you been what have you been watching well i have had a bit of a netflix dominated week because apart from that show that reality show which you mentioned um they're also showing this documentary series called the last dance which is in fact an espn production in america this sports network who make amazing documentaries they made the seven hour thing about oj simpson a couple of mm. few years ago which is all on iplayer by the way if anyone wants to see that one of the greatest documentary series ever um and this is all about michael jordan the legendary basketball player who i'm sure you are intimately um uh, knowledgeable about james uh, probably the greatest basketball player of all time and his team the Chicago Bulls who were in the 90s were the greatest team of that in, in America and the kind of they became so they kind of overtook they became a cultural phenomenon basically um, and he's still a cultural phenomenon and this documentary series is all focuses is all about him but it 10 parts focuses on the 97-98 Chicago Bulls season when they'd already won five times they'd already won five championships in the NBA the National Basketball Association then suddenly the owner and the guy who ran the team decided to mix things up and yet despite the fact they had this amazing team not only with uh, Michael Jordan Bulls so Scotty Pippin and Dennis Rodman. Do you remember Dennis Rodman who mm, went out with Madonna yeah. for a bit? And Friends they were, with they, Kim Jong-un. Right. They had these incredible characters in this team. It was like the most incredible team. And it's a phenomenal story. And um, part of the reason why it's suddenly happening now, they've brought it forward, um, ESPN and Netflix, because people demanded you know entertainment and there's no live sport going on so for sports fans they've brought it forward also it uses hours and hours of footage shot during that season that Michael Jordan granted access to a camera crew to film anything and everything behind the scenes but he's never allowed any of the footage to be used until now so it's just an incredible mm. document a kind of it'll be a 10 hour document of this incredible moment in sport and and I know it's a cliche but even if you're not interested in sport it's a fascinating cultural um, thing because it shows you how this absolute egos, how egos suddenly get in the way of pure talent and um, uh, sporting success. And it's absolutely fascinating. There's two on Netflix now, which are both incredible. And there'll be two every Monday, I think, after it arrives on the SPN in America. So that's The Last Dance, which is phenomenal. And Very good. 
I finally, after weeks and weeks of people banging on about it, I finally caught up with Better Call Saul. And um, obviously the prequel to Breaking Bad, one of the greatest shows in history. And I've been meaning to catch up with it. And I like watched the first two of this series. And I generally, I do wait. It's a, it's a show where I wait and try and gather them together. Because they're also shown weekly as it arrives from AMC on Netflix here. And I, I'd rather, and so I've watched basically seven, eight hours of it this week. And I have to say, it is fucking incredible. There's a lot of discussion among fans of um, the show and fans of Breaking Bad. Is it now, has it actually now become an even better show than Breaking Bad? And if it has become a better show than Breaking Bad, which is an absolutely valid question, then that kind of makes it one of the greatest shows of all time. So it's kind of important that we do discuss it, I think. And, and I feel like I had to catch up. And I'm so glad I have because it is, I do think this series um, is the best one so far. I think it's got better and better and better. And I think because it's more subtle, in terms of the main character, in terms of its than than um, Breaking Bad, I think it's possibly why it feels like a less instantly and and consistently thrilling show. However, there are incredibly thrilling moments, but in terms of depth and character development and moral um, dilemmas, the moral dilemmas in this series are extraordinarily complex, and I just think actually probably now as we reach the end of season five is even better than Breaking Bad. So yeah, it's fucking incredible. Well, it's uh, it's funny you should mention that, Boyd, because that uh, introduces us to a brand new one-off segment that we are introducing this week. Empire's Chris Hewitt has asked to take some time out of his busy schedule, disparaging pilot on the Empire podcast, uh, to come over and champion exactly this show, which I have to admit, we have largely overlooked, I think, here on Pilot, haven't we? Because we never really reviewed it. We don't really talk about it an awful lot. So... To address that, yourself and, of course, Chris can uh, can speak about it now in the new segment, Better Call Chris. Uh, hello, hello, everybody, by the way. Hey, how's it going? Uh, I, I just popped in to talk about Blue Bloods, uh, but on the way, I'm going to talk about Better Call Saul. Uh, it is a big statement to say that this show is better than Breaking Bad, and in the time we have today, we can't really properly interrogate that statement, but I'm I'm kind of with you, and I've been with you for a little while, and this season has really cemented that uh the the character development the the inherent tension of a prequel to generate tension in a prequel is an astonishing thing when you know by and large what happens to pretty much every character uh having said that the penultimate episode of this season is as tense as i've been in a tv show for a long long time since probably around Ozymandias, probably around the end of, of Breaking Bad, the, the very, very final season of Breaking Bad. Uh, there are character development, there are developments or plot developments in this, in this show, which are, are astonishing. Uh, they are completely and utterly assured now, this team. Alan Steppenwall of Rolling Stone, uh, who's a Rolling Stone's TV critic said that, uh, he thinks he's not sure whether this is a better show than, than Breaking Bad, but he put it very, very well. He said they have become better over the years at telling this kind of story. So maybe that works in that way. But I just think this is an incredible TV show. For my money, it's the best thing on TV right now. Um, and it pains me that very few people watch it. Mm. I, I've lost count of the number of people. Every time I tweet about it, I tweet about every single episode, the number of people on Twitter who go, oh, I kind of gave up after the first season. Uh, one guy said, oh, I gave up this season. I gave up this season. It's like, how could you give up this season? This is when it's really, they, you know, they, they, they're beginning to tighten the screws. But... Go back to it. It is a slow burn. It's a slower burn than Breaking Bad. It's not as immediate a grab as Breaking Bad, which is, you know, as we all know, Mr. Chips becomes Scarface. That, that 
immediate, that, that through line is incredible. Instead, what you're watching here is a good man lose a battle for his soul. And uh, um, what, Break, what Better Call Saul does really, really well is that they have engineered this incredible supporting cast around Bob Odenkirk as uh, Jimmy McGill, a.k.a. Saul Goodman, principally led by the wonderful uh, Ray Seahorn as his girlfriend, Kim Wexler, who is one of the most complex, intriguing, sometimes frustrating characters on TV. And uh, it's really interesting how they've treated her as the, pretty much the sole female character in this world. One of the criticisms leveled at Breaking Bad it was it was a very macho world. And Skyler, the, the wife of Walter White in that, was loathed by a large portion of the fan base as she was seen as interfering and in some way uh in some way stopping Walter White from being the the all-conquering badass that he could be. And none of that has been the case with Kim Wexler. Uh, she is universally beloved. Uh, I I think Ray Seahorn should should be nominated for and win an Emmy uh whenever they roll around again. She's absolutely incredible and in a weird way has become almost a focus of the show. It's phenomenal, phenomenal TV. Blue Bloods is great yeah. as well. Yes. You've been proselytizing <laughs> about this in the office for a while. It can be said, I'm one of the people who kind of gave up after season one. Uh, like, this one, like I, season one, I enjoyed, I just didn't love. And there's so much TV that we obviously have to watch that I, 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 yeah. I let it slip past. But I do, I do, I feel like I do need to get back to this, if only to make you and Boyd stop talking about it. But yes, I have heard <laughs> it is amazing. It is like people say, people say, oh, it's better than Breaking Bad. And I'm like, no, of course it isn't. I have no evidence to base that on because I've not <laughs> properly watched it. But it just feels like it can't possibly be. This is blasphemy but a lot of people saying it i do think the character of kim um, as chris says is, is is probably one of the main reasons why and, and there's you know the question of whether it's better or not is kind of that's not important it's a cigarette paper yeah yeah exactly you know he's this kind of guy that no one notices and exploring that idea of a much of a of a, of a much less you know kind of charismatic on surface level character than in breaking mm. bad but he's so brilliantly drawn it's so interesting i think it's a, i just think it's a more interesting proposition and i think because it, it does because it's such a slow burn because he is a more complex character and it's and it's a dropping ideas in season one that are then playing out over the next five what will be six years eventually i think that's probably why it's going by the wayside a bit and people aren't take people aren't kind of making it must appointment to watch kind of tv because it feels it's almost because it is it is it, it takes its time to deliberately tell its story, yeah. but when it reaches those moments, it's so incredibly powerful, and it and it's mm. paid off that the, the the kind of you know forty eight previous episodes because it's all because it's all building up to these incredible moments. So yeah, and by the way, on top of everything else, it's beautifully filmed. I mean, every, oh, obviously yeah. every show we talk about now in this era is has incredible production values, but this has its own style, doesn't it? The way it's shot mm. and filmed, the cinematography, it's it's like the the, the there's something about it. It looks nothing like anything else on TV. Half of the shots are like almost a ground level, aren't they? They start off and there's huge, there's big overhead shots showing you think everything that's going on. It's just the atmosphere, the visual atmosphere of it is absolutely incredible and unique. Well, there's a there's an episode in this season. Uh, I can't remember which one it is now, but which starts with a, a, a colony of ants 
crawling over an ice cream cone. And that's a cold open. Literally, it's an ice cold open for the show. And it's some of the most breathtaking cinematography you will ever see. It, it, it feels like it belongs for a, it, it should belong in a David Attenborough documentary. Uh, it's absolutely incredible. The style of it, the music choices, the, 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 the character choices are astonishing. One of the things it doesn't, it didn't grab, I think, you initially, Jimbo. And, um, you know, also, I know Nick kind of gave up on it a little bit as well. Um, Mainly because I think Breaking Bad is more immediate. Breaking Bad, not just the the through line, but Breaking Bad mm. has violence and has drug deals and has things going wrong right from the off. Whereas this is a very very slow descent into hell for this one character. Uh, but what that's one of the beauties of it. It it set out right from the off this character Jimmy McGill. Bob Odenkirk, and he's likable, and he's funny, and he's complex, and he will fuck himself up at every opportunity. Every if he if he has a victory, he will snatch defeat from the jaws of it because that's what he does. He's very self-destructive. But it's been a slow descent. Uh, Peter Gould and Vince Gilligan. Vince Gilligan's kind of taking a step back now in the show. Peter Gould is pretty much the the the, the sole showrunner on the show. But they've openly admitted that they expected it to be he'd be full blown Saul Goodman by the end of season one. And technically, he's still not full-blown Saul Goodman. There's still a lot of ground to cover over the last 13 episodes because the next season is the last one. Um, and it's been a really, really almost glacially paced descent for this character. <laughs> you're not, you're not, and that, but that's not going to get people to watch it. But but along the way, uh, you know, this, but it's, it's, it's really appealed to me because Breaking Bad was glacially paced at times. I think people was, forget yeah. that. If you go back, season three is pretty glacially paced. Season, you know, there's, there's, there's t- it's a show that's not afraid to take its time. I love everything set in this universe. I love the El Camino movie that Vince Gilligan directed, the, the, which, which concluded Jesse Pinkman's story. Mm. Um, I thought that was absolutely terrific. I love this show. I think it's beautifully written, beautifully performed, beautifully directed by a multitude of directors. I haven't even mentioned Jonathan Banks, who's phenomenal as, as Mike Armitrout, uh, you, you know, who, Set aside the fact that the main actors now look 10 years older than they did <laughs> at the end of Breaking Bad, which is set four years after this. Ignore that. Uh, and I'm also going to give one last shout out before I disappear. Uh, so they've, they've created in Ken Wexler an all-timer. If you were to put together a list of great characters from the Breaking Bad Better Call Saul universe, you would absolutely put Kim Wexler on in the top 10. Absolutely. Maybe even top five. Uh, one of the interesting things about it is in the last two seasons, they've just dashed off a character, uh, Lalo Salamanca, played by Tony Dalton, wonderful Mexican actor called Tony Dalton, who has come in as a sort of adversary, not necessarily for, for Jimmy, aka Saul, but more for Gus Fring and more for Mike and more for another character in the show called Nacho. And he is instantly top 10 Breaking Bad Better Call Saul characters, so much so that I almost wish that he was around in Breaking Bad to uh, to butt heads with Walter White. But then again, I think that he he would beat Walter White in the morning and then take the afternoon off. He's that formidable. He's, he's a great, great character. All right, you've sold me. I will go back and watch this at some point after whatever I rewatch next. No, no, just kidding. I will watch it. I will watch this. Terry's definitely going to watch it. Clearly. Yeah. <laughs> Terry, you can see Terry's been absolutely glued to this conversation. <laughs> I was not needed for this conversation. I'm trying, to keep, I'm trying to keep an eye out for my child who I abandoned two hours and five minutes ago. Better call um, Saul as my child. Apparently so. Well, I, I have to say that I've been, I've um, uh, listened to you and Boyd um, rave about this uh, for what feels like a decade. But mm. it is it is on my watch list. 
And based on your um, uh, passionate, I wouldn't say defense because there's no defense, but your passionate case for it, mm. I'm going to um, I'm going to give it a go. I might even put it in the top five of my next to watch list. Holy shit! So know, have, right? you, have you seen any episodes or? No, no, I haven't. Okay. And it's one of those things that I, I didn't start watching and I was like, I'm going to save it, I'm going to save it. And then I heard some of the stuff you're talking about, which was about the kind of um, uh, slow burn, the pacing of it. And you know me, I like it uh, quick and bloody and, and, and violent and frantic <laughs> from the get-go. Uh, so that didn't sell me, but this sounds... I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to give it a go. So how many episodes do I need to kind of persevere with, do you think, until it's... It's really going to get me. I think the first season must be a slog for people because a All lot of people of seem to. No, no, but, but a lot of people. Seem, a lot of people seem to have given up on the first uh, after the first season. Um, and I don't want to do that Parks and Rec, the American Office thing, where I go just skip the first season because there's so much psychological groundwork that is laid there. There's this relationship with his brother Chuck, played by Michael McCain. There's the early days of his relationship with Kim, but you, you might be able to start in season two and then pick up pretty much. Everything about the character. Yeah, I think you could. I Ooh. think maybe. Controversial. Yeah. I don't know if yeah. I can do that. But I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna give season one a go. But yeah, that's oof, all of season one might be a slog. You've oof. given me a good. You've given me a good thing here. I'm gonna try and think about whether there are key episodes that you could maybe watch. Like mm. you know, some, whenever people ask me which films should I watch in the Marvel Cinematic Universe to prepare for Avengers Endgame, and I say, what the fuck, all of them? What are you doing? <laughs> uh, but there are key films you could watch that will fill you in without having to watch Ant Man and the Wasp. Um, but you, yeah, I could maybe try and pick out five key episodes from the first three seasons. Okay. And, then, uh, and I'll let you know what they are. And uh, yeah, take it from there. Do that, and I commit to watching them. <laughs> All right. Probably, cool. prob- probably. Chris, thank you for dialing in for our very first installment of Better Call Chris. Better call Chris. Rest assured, when we have a big uh, blue blood special, we shall call you again. Oh, I wish. <laughs> right. See you next time, Chris. Bye. 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 Uh, should we move on now to a listener question? And this week's comes from Michael McGann, who says, after a secondary watch of The Shield, good man, just wanted to know who you all think is the greatest TV cop of all time. What do we think? Well, so I'm going to presume you guys, and by you guys, I mean you, James, are going to have covered off, you know, your classic kind of male cops. Vic Mackey, for example, was the, yes. was was kind of, you know, the first on my list. But also, you know, Cracker, Lenny Briscoe, there's loads and loads of great male cops. Technically, so Cracker gonna... wasn't a policeman, but a consultant to the Manchester oh, Police Force. Here we go. I here knew we go. this was going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> so, first bell end moment, not that far in. But I'm going to talk about... As, as is kind of my brand about lady cops, women cops, or just cops, as I like to call them. Because <laughs> I think some of the most interesting portrayals um, in terms of cops on screen have actually been female cops. When you think about uh, uh, Tennyson, right back from Prime Suspect. Mm. But I, I want to make a case for a few of them specifically. First of all, Ellie Miller from Broadchurch, right? Olivia Coleman. Yes. Mm. Because what I love about her is actually her kind of normality. She's a really good person. Because you think about cops normally and the way they're drawn and they're hard drinking and usually flawed and have got really um, fucked up personal lives. 
the men are often like having affairs on the side away from their like really loyal wives they've got a bit of a bad kind of like history with roughing people up but it's all in the great good etc etc <laughs> we're all familiar with the tropes but what i love about some of these women is well, for those listening at home, the podcast patriarchy there cut Terry off because she literally said, what I like about these women is, and then got immediately kicked out of the podcast and it shut her down. It was like, no, we're not having this woman talking this nonsense in here. I just imagined your penis jumped up and disconnected it so much, yeah. James. And yeah, that's it. And, and shut you out of the podcast. Sorry, Terry. What is it you would like to say about these women? As I was saying about these women, um, was that some of the most interesting portrayals? have been by these women um, because they're not often um, built out of the same tropes as some of the more traditional male detectives. So Ellie Miller on Broadchurch, who I was just raving about, she's a really good person. She's really normal. She doesn't actually have a huge amount of edge to her apart from, you know, her husband being a, a child killer. Um, she isn't afraid to get Spoiler. emotional. <laughs> Spo- I, mean, I mean, if you don't know that and haven't no, no. watched it, then tough shit, motherfuckers. Um <laughs> But she, you know, she calls Alec Hardy, played by David Tennant, her partner, out on his shit all the time. She's just a brilliantly normal woman who happens to be a copper. I mean, no more evidence by the fact that she wears that bloody handbag across her body at all times, no matter what she's doing. That handbag drives me mental. But, you know, every woman would wear that handbag across their middle. Um, <laughs> Catherine K. Wood, Sarah Lancashire in Happy Valley who is one of the great TV characters, full stop, never mind one of the great TV cops, who uses her drive as a mother to be an even better uh, police officer. Also, she will fuck you up. But obviously, you guys know me. You know that there can only be one great TV cop, and that is Detective Olivia Benson from Law & Order SVU. Christ. who, Who, you know, has been on our screens for two decades who was part of an all-male department for years who is tough and vulnerable and empathetic and you know what a bloody good detective and I think there is a difference between a great tv cop show and a great tv cop do you know what I'm saying Mm. so but think about so I was thinking about line of duty right and not everybody in line of duty is a very good police officer they seem to kind of (laughs) accidentally work things out rather than actually use their skills as a police officer Um, so I did want to make that point but it's always going to be Detective Olivia Benson for me talking about um, that show and you tweeted this week I noticed about how the episode with um, with uh, uh, Walters John Waters. <laughs> What's his name? John Waters, thank you. Um, which I saw as well and was abs- one of the most demented episodes of that often demented show. <laughs> Absolutely crackers. That episode. Not only his cameo in it, which was amazing, but the whole thing was crazy, wasn't it? That episode, I thought it was just whack. I mean, this se- this season has, has been a bit... Uh lively shall we say yeah lively yeah yeah. lively john waters appearing was kind of a big i was like i actually had to pause it rewind it because i hadn't had any sleep for a couple of nights and i was thinking did i just hallucinate john waters on law and order svu (laughs) in kind of the ultimate terry white wish fulfillment crossover episode um but no he was really on there it was mad as a box of frogs i don't i still don't quite know why he was on there but um i was happy to take it he's a fan 
It was crazy. Um, it was interesting what you said about the, the, the female cops, though, because I was thinking this, because I was thinking of Jane Tennyson, you know, being mm. one of my favourite all time. And I watched every prime suspect religiously when it, from the first one to the, to the last one. And they were mostly all absolutely brilliant. But, but she was quite normal as well, really. I mean, she was good mm. at her job. She was great. But I do think that a lot of the female TV detectives are, are often um, emphasise their normality. Yeah. Whereas, the, the, you know, the male ones, like Luther and... You know, Sherlock's a private detective, but you know what I mean? That, they tend to be in that realm, don't they, of geniuses who kind of have quirks and eccentricities. And it is an interesting thing because I think almost all the, fem- the great female detectives are, are regarded as normal people doing their job professionally. And then they don't have these kind of slightly contrived character quirks. And I do think that often makes them better and makes those shows better, slightly more convincing, slightly less contrived. And that, so my pick would be Andy Sipowitz from NYPD Blue because he's kind of the equivalent <laughs> of that. He was, just, he was a lumbering, bumbling, normal oaf, basically, who happened to be the, an incredibly interesting, um, believable cop in the middle of NYPD Blue. Dennis Franz is so brilliant in that mm. role. He's so charismatic, but he's kind of a normal schlubby guy. Uh, you know, he's not—he's not a genius by any stretch of the imagination. He hasn't got any—you know—he's not a fan of opera or whatever. But he is—he's just a brilliant, brilliant um, detective and brilliantly performed. And Dennis Franz then also played this, essentially the same character in Brian De Palma films as well, um, like Dress to Kill and stuff and Blow Up. So Blow Out. So Dennis Franz generally being that character, that kind of mm. schlubby cop, I love. And of course, there's Columbo. I would just mention Columbo, and I think Columbo still stands the test of time as being an absolute fucking brilliant show, and he is an absolutely brilliant character. The NYPD Blue thing is funny because I love because Sipowitz was always sort of second fiddle initially to David Caruso, wasn't he, in season one? And then mm. Caruso went in playing hardball on the salary negotiations for season two, being like, I am the star of this show, you will pay me what I'm worth. And they were like, fuck you, here's Jimmy Smits. <laughs> and that was the end of it. And then we didn't see him for years, did we? Like, he did really sort of shitty, like, you know, he did like jade, like pseudo erotic movie thrillers before he kind of got CSI Miami and, and, and came back to the fore. But. Yeah, there's a moral in there somewhere. There is, yeah. Um, there is. Oh, God, what would be my choice? See, there's a kind of a line here, isn't there? So, favourites, obviously, Vic Mackey is up there, but he's certainly not the best. Um, <laughs> Ted Hastings I love as well. But again, like, his judgment is a little suspect. Uh, I love John Luther's way of doing things. He is one of my favourite detectives because Luther will just kick your door in and fucking, he'll fuck you up. Love old Luther. Remember Sarah Lund from uh, The Killing? Mm. She, uh, as well as having a fine eye for knitwear, was particularly good at her job when it came to deductions. But I think if I had to, and I and I enjoyed Crockett and Tubbs back in the day, I enjoyed them. I wouldn't, again, I wouldn't necessarily go to them if I had a crime that needed solving. I would, if I had to pick an officer to investigate a crime that I needed solved, it would be Lester Freeman from The Wire. Because Lester Freeman was just good police. Like he was, he'd sit there, you know, whittling away on his little dollhouse furniture, sanding it down. But he's the one who cracks it. He's the one who, you know, finds the picture of Avon Barksdale in season one of The Wire. He's the one who gets down, follow the money, baby. Like he's the one who cracks it. He's, he's of all of them, he is the best police officer in that show because he's all about procedure. Like he's a grinder. He gets it done. Uh, so I'm a big fan of him. And if he wasn't available, obviously I'd call Bosch. I'm not sure any Obviously. question has so revealed each of our personal brands as this one. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. 
Well, thank you, Michael McGann, for that. If you would like your question addressed on the podcast, then please DM it to us at Pilot TV Mag on Twitter, uh, and we may or may not pull it out of the hat. And if you want to game the system, a really good time to DM it to us would be, I don't know, at some point on late Wednesday or early Thursday when I'm thinking about what to do for the show. So just throwing that out there. Um, shall we move on now? to news uh, and i'll kick off by saying this that we had gareth evans director of the raid and indeed gangs of london on the empire podcast uh, last week and i asked him about the confusion over the title of the show about whether or not it was based on this game which i originally thought it was and then was concerned it wasn't and he said well basically what happened was exactly that like he was approached to do a tv show adaptation of this game like that's what he was approached to do and he was like okay fine and i think the ideas evolved as they went along he came up with different ideas he took in a different direction he wanted to do different things with it and it turned into something very different but he said by the end of it they couldn't think of a better title than gangs of london so they kept the title but for all intents and purposes it is now a separate tv show but so it's semi-based on the game and semi-not is essentially what i'm saying that is where it gets its title from good to know isn't that interesting mm. <laughs> yeah that's more Did of a fascinating fact that? than news yeah i thought boyd said that last week did you not say that last week boyd um no i don't think i did to be fair no, no. but he no. did not you're imagining things <laughs> yeah. Maybe I dreamt yeah, it. Fair enough. You might have dreamt yeah. it. Was John Waters in there at any point? <laughs> yeah. He was in Gangs of London. Yes. Um, Olivia another, Benson was in there. Here's another fact slash bit of news. Oh, Richard Schiff, Toby Ziegler on the West Wing, is doing a West Wing watch-along. He's watching. He started it last night as we record, so it'll be a couple of nights ago uh, when we go out. But uh, he is doing every single night at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Richard Schiff is doing a live watch-along of The West Wing. He's doing one episode per night. Uh, and if I hadn't relatively recently finished my rewatch of The West Wing, I would be doing it with him. Also, I don't know, 7pm PST is not a particularly convenient time but uh, for us here in England. But uh, but that's a good thing. And if you are up and if you are in that particular time zone, then I very much recommend that you watch along with him. Good. Star Wars news, James. You must yes, have seen indeed. this. It's Leslie Headland. Leslie Headland, which is exciting. Uh, completely unexpected in some respects. Obviously, she co-created uh, Russian Doll mm. and is working on a female-centric Star Wars series for Disney+. And all we really know, I think, so far, correct me if I'm wrong, is that it will take part in a new part of the timeline previously unexplored. And that's kind of it. But obviously she's not necessarily the first person you would think of um to be helming a star wars series but also it kind of i think speaks to the risks they're willing to take and the different directions they're willing to take and arguably there's nobody better to create a kind of female-centric star wars series but do you know anything more about what it might entail? Absolutely James? nothing. They've announced nothing at all. Uh, all they've said is plot is under wraps, but they they have noted it will be female-centric, as you said, and that it will be in a different part of the timeline. I think those are the only two pieces of information they've dropped. She's going to write and she's going to be showrunner for the series. Yeah, uh, It's currently staffing up. They're putting people together for it. So uh, it's kind of in early early pre-production. But, I mean, Russian Doll is really, really good. So Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. definitely. I mean, look, I'll wait until it arrives because... Because we'll see. Like it's very, very easy to get Star Wars wrong, as evidenced by the rise of Skywalker. So um, you know, uh, but yeah, anytime new Star Wars stuff's happening, I'm, I'm, I'm interested. You know, I like it. I'm, I'm, I'm keen to see. It. I'm enjoying the Mandalorian. We've been uh, picking that apart in the spoiler special podcast to a great entertainment. So uh, yes, I will. I will obviously watch this. 
And it does feel like it's easier um, to take risks with Star Wars on Disney Plus around a TV format than in theatrical, right? Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that works so well about The Mandalorian, that they, they... it doesn't feel sort of tied to the horse that's been dragging this series along for so long because you're not, you know, it, there's not 300 million floating on every episode and it's not mm. like if this bombs and we won't get to make another one, you know, they get to try different things out. I really like the way they've done that in The Mandal- Mandalorian. It's very textured. The episodes vary massively from the beginning of the of the season to the end. Um, and I think with this, yeah, again, they'll, they'll take risks, they'll do different things. Maybe it'll work, maybe it doesn't. If it doesn't work, then they won't do a second season of it. But it does let them let them do that, which is, which is fun. Because the Star Wars universe, there's, there's a lot of rich sort of texture mythology and places to explore. And I think, you know, I'd like to see more of that. I think one of the problems that we've had in the films is they keep going back to the same places and reiterating the same stuff we've seen before. And frankly, that gets a little tedious. So yes, more new things, please. And if Leslie Headland wishes to take us there, then I am very, very happy. Do you see there was the Westworld um, news? Mm. See that uh, season four? confirmed because that's also a thing that i've kept up with have you been keeping up with westworld no i'm slightly behind i'm behind on westworld and i'm behind on homeland and i'm going to catch up on homeland before Mm. i catch up on westworld Mm. well i mean all i'd say about Westworld, i was enjoying it i'm enjoying it generally but it is still i thought when we reviewed i think we all felt that it was refreshingly less confusing and complicated Mm. than the famously difficult second season but actually now uh, it's probably even more confused and complicated and difficult to understand what's going on than season two but i'm still kind of enjoying it despite all that but you know i think apparently it's gonna the the word is it's gonna carry on for six seasons like lost of course um being another show that was incredibly confusing but i'm you know it's 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 fairly good it's it's fairly decent news that hbo has got a returning huge hit show that is still that is looks massively expensive i mean the the production values on it are incredible and i'm still enjoying it so that's vaguely that's vaguely um good news it's properly good news in fact i'd say that is good news. That is good news. It's obviously more things for me to watch, but I'm sure I'll survive. Mm. And of course, I'll have to make time in my schedule around the new Fraggle Rock TV show. Whoa. <laughs> because Whoa. the Fraggles are back. What? There will be doozer tubes all over the place. Uh, Apple TV Plus has uh, debuted their first teaser. Apparently, I haven't seen it, but the, uh, they're doing a revival of the Jim Henson classic children's series, Fraggle Rock. So would you like to sing the theme tune for us? Uh, how's it go? <laughs> da da frag rock. Da 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 frag rock. Right? Down to Fraggle Rock. Yes, much like that. Um, so the stars of that 80s show, <laughs> Gobo, Red, Booba, Moki, Wem- there's one called Wembley, and Uncle Travelling Matt uh, are joining together for a new series and new stories So and presumably songs. And what are they? What are they called? The Gorgs, the Gorgs, and the little doozers who are essentially exploited as slave labour to make those little doozer tubes that the Fraggles eat. There's probably a whole thing on, you know, zero hours contracts there. (laughs) One other thing I should say about the series, this is actually kind of a lockdown TV series. So by by all accounts, this, this was shot entirely on iPhone 11 phones from the homes of the production team and the artists across the US during the lockdown. So they seem to have made this in isolation. So... Go Fraggles. Did you you see the thing about Louis Theroux um, and his tweet along that he's doing? Do you know about this? I did not. 
Well, I'll tell you. So they are showing, BBC Two is showing the episode um, Louis Theroux did um, years ago uh, from 2011 in which the Tiger King was in it. So he did a show called um, Louis Theroux and America's Most Dangerous Animals or Most Dangerous Pets. And um, the crazy Tiger King guy um, was one of quite a few subjects of people he met who all own, um, you know, Lions, tigers, chimpanzees, etc. But he was definitely the star of that show, um, and was suitably ridiculous and crazy as he was in the in the Tiger King. So BBC Two is repeating it next Sunday at nine o'clock. But Louis Theroux is going to tweet along with it live, um, answering questions about um, his experience with him and what what he felt about him. And he's filming a new introduction to it, which I think is a really good idea. So um, you know. A, the BBC Two's showing that classic episode uh, with Tiger King in it and that Louis Threw's tweeting along. That's crazy. Anything else? That one's not normal. Commissioned. Full series. Oh, was it? Did oh, you mention that? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. exciting. Yeah. yeah. Terry's uh, signed off on the usage of the right to her life. <laughs> so that's all good. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's brilliant news. Um, yeah, it's really good news. Yeah. Um, and it's it's what's I think it's particularly brilliant is that um, she, uh, the Sophie Willen, the creator, writer and star of it, the whole thing goes back to her winning this Carolina Home bursary. So this shows you that that kind of thing can really change people's lives because, you know, mm. that this this is now going to become a proper six-part um, comedy series on BBC Two. I'm sure it'll go carry on for run after run. I'm sure it'll become a massive um, hit because it's so brilliant. And it's all down to the fact that someone decided to give a grant um, to celebrate um, Carol Hearn's amazing life and career. Um, and Sophie Willans ended up creating this brilliant show out um, off the top of it. So I think it's, it's fantastic. Um, there was a bit of Sandman news. I don't know if you saw that or if either of you care. But uh, Neil Gaiman was talking a little bit about Sandman, which has been in production for a while and has unsurprisingly been put on hold because the whole world is currently on hold. But Gaiman did assure people that it is a minor setback and it will be coming back. He said the scripts for the first season are all written. Casting had started just before the, the lockdown. Directors had been hired and sets were in, in mid-production. So it was properly going into it. Uh, and apparently it's all set to go. So once... So it, assuming civilization does recover from this once that happens uh, Sandman will be a go and this is exciting for me because I only recently started reading Sandman after many years of not doing it I finally got into it and it's amazing so um, Captain Nate to the party here but yeah Sandman are we out Woo. of news is that is that all that is occurring <laughs> yeah. that's nothing happening yeah. let's be frank I don't know that's quite a bit <laughs> yeah, right then shall we move on now to reviews and first up this week is Amazon's Upload this is Greg Daniels' new series and takes place in a near-future America where humans are able to buy and secure their places in their own choice of digitally created bespoke afterlife. Something Nathan, played by Robbie Amell, becomes all too acquainted with after shuffling off this mortal coil and finding himself in the good place as imagined by Facebook. Boyd, was Upload a glorious fibre optic connection or a 9600 board rate dial-up? <laughs> um, well... Interestingly, so first of all, this is created by Greg Daniels, who is um, an American sitcom legend, having created Parks and Recreation, uh, the US Office. Uh, he worked on The Simpsons, he worked on Seinfeld. So he knows his shit when it comes to um, creating TV comedy shows. And in fact, I interviewed him for the current issue of Pilot TV, um, available with Empire Now, about his other show, which is arriving at the end of May on Netflix called um, Spaceful. So he's got, this is so bizarre, right? He's got two massive high concept 
sci-fi comedy shows arriving on the two rival streaming services, Amazon Prime and Netflix, in the same month. And he's been working on both of them for years and years and years. And at one point, he told me when I interviewed him, at the height of production of both of them, he was like basically managing like 100 episodes. And and they're both huge budgets, by the way, because they've both got big, ambitious ideas and loads of CGI and everything. And... And so, yeah, he's achieved this incredible thing of having these two huge shows. Now, I have to say, I'm sure there's a reviews embargo on Space Force, but I preferred Space Force. This show is weirdly, so it feels incredibly like um, The Good Place for a start. I don't think anyone who has watched The Good Place could watch this show and think, oh, this is kind of tapping into a similar tone. It's exploring, you know, it, it, what is the afterlife? Is there an afterlife? What might it look like? Um, even visually and kind of tonally, it has a lot in common with that show in terms of it's a comedy. It's a sitcom, effectively, or the first episode 45 minutes long. Um, and yet it's got these lavish settings and um, kind of fantasy sci-fi elements to it because, sure enough, um, Robbie ML's character arrives in his version of the afterlife that he's paid for, and it's all kind of – it's all very vividly coloured, you know, just like The Good Place. Um, and so I, it's difficult to watch the show, if you have watched The Good Place, with, that, with, that, with getting that out of your mind because The Good Place was fucking brilliant for most of its time. Certainly it was when it started. It felt incredibly fresh, new and original. So this feels derivative, even though I think Greg Daniels says that he's been working on it for about five years. So I don't think it is in any way derivative um, deliberately. It just feels like, oh, this is now on and it feels a bit like that show. And it isn't, I have to say as funny or clever. And it also reminded me of one of my favourite films, Defending Your Life, which is um, Albert Brooks and Meryl Streep film about, also about the afterlife. And there are jokes in this, that is lavish, the lavish food at breakfast. And, you know, just what would it be like if basically you could arrange to have in your version of heaven, basically, you know, it would be full of the best food, endless amounts of beautiful scenery and all of that. And again, that's the thing that comes up a lot in that film, Defending Your Life. So it felt like a seen a lot of it before but that wouldn't matter so much if it wasn't for that I felt it wasn't funny particularly there were moments of why I Riley felt Riley amused but nothing even vaguely laugh out loud funny um and Robbie Amell the the main character so he he is the guy who who dies prematurely and and lives in the afterlife and he is aided by a character played by Andy Allo who's like she is um still alive and she's working for the company that has organized and engineered his version of the afterlife and she's constantly looking after him she's his customer liaison rep basically which is quite a funny idea and she's great and she's very likable he's just a bit blah he's just a bit nothingy for me I didn't feel like there was apart from the fact that he's confused and bewildered by the situation because he is in the afterlife and trying to work out the rules I didn't feel there was anything intrinsically funny about his character particularly so it's an interesting premise it's lavishly produced as you'd expect from this kind of thing from Amazon Prime show it looks incredibly expensive but there was nothing very little in this first episode that made me think I have to carry on watching this because it's so gripping or compelling or funny because it's none of those things Hmm. Sorry. <laughs> I agree, I agree with Boyd wholeheartedly and I think um I think it's the problem with it is essentially that it is an old idea that he's been trying to get made Greg Daniels for quite some time. So I read an interview where it said he first had the idea back in the 80s, late 80s while writing on SNL and it was eventually became what it is now sold to HBO in 2015, resold to Amazon in 2016. Maybe back then it felt like an incredibly original 
idea, but now it just doesn't. You know, Boyd mentioned The Good Place, also San Junipero in Black Mirror. This this kind of idea and these big themes about consciousness, big tech, personal data, you know, the natural evolution of capitalism, commercialization of death and life and relationships, all of that stuff has kind of been dug into before. Um, so nothing about it now feels of the moment. And weirdly for something that is meant to feel of the zeitgeist, it feels slightly behind the times almost. Some of the themes, some of the, I mean, I'm, I don't know if I agree that it looks expensive. Some of the special effects, I just didn't think really worked at all. And it actually looked kind of cheap in those moments. Um, and I completely agree with you on on Robbie Amell, who I just, I just kind of feel like is a blank. And maybe that's the point. Maybe he's meant to be this everyman. Um, but it just didn't work for me because I wasn't compelled by him at all. So, and it just isn't funny. And that was like the biggest kind of thing that it was really hard to get over is you kind of could forgive the fact that the idea somehow now feels a little bit dated um, with the fact that, okay, the writing's brilliant. It is really funny. It it wasn't. It felt really um, contrived in parts to me, quite laboured. Um, I felt every minute of the 45 minutes, which I hate to say, but I really did. I, f- I found it quite a struggle to get to the end. Um, so it wasn't for me at all, I have to say. No, I, I must admit, and I, I, uh, I missold you on this because I told you this was a half hour comedy, which I assumed it was. And frankly, is what it should have been. Like 45 minutes felt long. Like at 25 minutes, you probably could have got away with this. But yeah it is it is it's a little bit trite it's not particularly well executed i think my i mean also bear in mind this is a show that begins with someone watching adam sandler and drew barrymore film 51st dates while traveling on a train Mm. and that seemed a really odd thing to include like really odd um but i think my biggest thing with this more than anything else is i found the character of nathan so fundamentally unlikable like he he was bellend to the max and I, I i imagine this show in the same way that uh the christian bell's character to a certain extent in the good place will have a redemptive arc to it and i'm sure it will but the problem is you can have a bellend character if they're funny and if they're likable despite being a bellend like eleanor shellstrop in the good place is a bellend but she's she's really funny and she's really likable regardless he's not he's not funny he's not witty he's not likable he's just bland and an asshole and that's and bland assholes is not what good shows should be built around unfortunately um there are a couple of lines that made me smile the line i just ran into my pube stylist made me snigger slightly but uh really i just i did not enjoy this at all um it, it did feel a lot like i'd gone to the bad place um and it's just <laughs> yeah i just no i, I will i will never watch this again you see, that made me laugh more than anything in the show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, completely. I mean, his, yes. defi- his whole defining characteristic seems to be that he's hot. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? The whole yeah. the whole thing is mm. built around, he's so hot. He's so, And I was like thinking, but there has to be something more. There has to yeah. be something where you think, fund- you root for him or you, you're really interested to see how this works out. He's got this incredibly narcissistic rich girlfriend who's essentially paid for him to go into this afterlife and he's now stuck with her forever which in and of itself should be quite a funny conceit but you just don't care enough about him or her or the fact mm. that, that that it's a it's a kind of this play on a toxic relationship 
that you're now stuck in and the fact that she sees his charges and has to approve all I mean all of that stuff should be kind of interesting in and of itself but if you don't care about the characters then it's it's really mm. hard to engage with it but can you imagine this show if you'd had a much more sort of sardonic witty character mm. in that role dealing with the afterlife but that has a lot more fun to it i mean that's so much of what right. the good place is built on well just, steve carell or someone like that who yeah, is in absolutely. you know he, you can he, imagine he'd him. just transform it mm, yeah completely. i think it's a really weird decision i agree to have a handsome a blandly handsome white guy you know whatever just just just, you know and 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 that's it in the center of a comedy i think it's a weird and misguided thing to do generally you know ricky gervais often talks about you know freaky people are funny you know weird looking people you know you know david brent is not a handsome guy in the middle of this thing and yet on this show it totally it's all about him there's a running joke about a bit of hair that sticks up that he can't gel down i'm like yeah i mean kind of that's all right that's quite funny about his vanity etc but that's it. There's nothing more to him than that. It's just I don't th- I don't think comedy works with such a kind of mainstream dude, handsome dude in mm. the middle of this kind of situation. It's not it doesn't it makes it instantly less interesting. Yeah. Desperately in need funny. of a quirkier character, I think. Mm. Well, upload drops on Amazon this Friday in its entirety. Next up this week is Apple's Trying, which sees Rafe Spall and Esther Smith as a couple who very much want a child, although nature seems to have other plans. That this is set in and around the pilot TV slash Empire office in the heart of London's grubby Camden town was an interesting surprise. Uh, Terry, was that the only noteworthy thing about it? (laughs) <laughs> I did enjoy all the uh, all the Camden like hipster shithole references. <laughs> yeah, I, like, I find myself fully on board then, with them. Like that, yes. <laughs> um, so, I mean, there's been a huge amount recently of shows around the realities of parenting, um, whether it's Catastrophe or Motherland or Breeders. And I suppose the big question with this show that I'm still not sure, spoiler, I know the answer to, is whether... Um, it is unique enough to stand out amongst those other shows and what will make it cut through. So it is directed by Jim O'Hanlon, who directed Catastrophe. He directs all the episodes. And it does have a slight Catastrophe feel to it, although I have to say it is more gentle. There's less of those kind mm. of shock moments you got from Catastrophe. And I think also the fact it's, it's treading in the path where others have gone before means it's harder for it to shock or to be completely original because a lot of this has been well furrowed by other shows. So as you said, um, Esther Smith and Rafe Spall play Nikki and Jason, 30-something couple, can't have kids decide to adopt that's established really quickly that's not a spoiler um what i really liked about them was they're a very believable couple they're not a typical middle class couple you might see in this so she there's a brilliant bit where she admits she works for vista car rental <laughs> to a woman who's the fashion editor of team vogue and actually the sh- the woman at the heart of the show would normally be the fashion editor from team vogue and i have to say even though spoil is a bigger name esther smith i absolutely fell in love with she's really compelling really um, captivating you really believe her Um, there's a couple of really great scenes in the show it starts with one on a night bus when she works out she's about to miss her ovulation window there's a brilliant bit at a baby shower where she mentions um, having the urge to push in the soft bit on a baby's head which struck me as something so real 
and so brilliant that it's one of those things you can't say out loud but it's not kind of a big thing it's one of those tiny details and I think the detail in this is what I really liked there's a brilliant bit by a lake um, the writing I think is really good and we should say that it's um, created and written by Andy Walton who's this young British writer Boyd correct me but I think it's his first big TV project and yep. I think he's got a really great eye for detail there's a bit where she's talking about a baby's name and she says it's not a name it's a Dropbox password <laughs> And there are moments like that, which are just really brilliant bits of writing. Um, so I'm going to keep watching this. As I say, it was gentler and, and and it doesn't grab you immediately as much as I think something like Catastrophe. And I think those comparisons are going to be drawn. But I did enjoy it. I enjoyed the warmth. The humor's great. The writing's great. As I say, whether it has something unique enough that's going to keep you watching when it is such a well-trodden part of TV, comedy dramas at the moment, I think is still to be seen. We, I only watched the first episode. Um, but yeah, I thought it was lovely and, and really enjoyed it. But those are the questions I think for me that I still don't know the answers to. I think, um, I think if you carry on watching it, you, you will grow to love it. I think this is a quietly excellent um, series. I think that you mentioned the fact that they're they're um, they're not middle class media metropolitan media types. I think that's key. And in fact, if if I interviewed them as well, if you're, we should have a new drinking game where if every time I mention the fact that I've interviewed the people on the shows that we talk about, people can drink <laughs> at home. But I have I did interview Rave Spore and Esther Smith together um, in in recently, and um, they're both incredibly likable um i mean characters on the show and in real life and wraith particularly was very proud of the fact that they're working class characters in the show and they're not and he actually mentioned catastrophe and fleabag as being brilliant shows but that are very much in that in that upper upper middle class socioeconomic group and um he's very proud of the fact that this Apple's first ever UK commission is going around the world and it shows people living normal lives that it's really difficult living in London that that's mentioned all the time that they you know could barely survive financially in this world and they they go back to that um their money troubles you know he's a teacher in a in a in a, for, a foreign language school etc so I love all that and I think that why I say quite I think you, you you were talking about it it's 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 very real and believable and in fact it it will subsequently take take you through I've watched six episodes out of the eight it takes you through the process of trying to adopt in an incredibly meticulous almost um, and real way and the and the whole insanity of that process through all the red tape while also and it never goes for a cheap laugh but has a quietly excellent script where there are enough really funny lines that are just about believable from the mouths of these very likable funny characters that it, that it works it's funny and yet believable I think it's a really difficult trick to pull off and, and, you're, and you're right it's definitely less bold and big than all those shows really all of them and you know we, we did we reviewed Breeders recently and that's a really harsh show as, as we talked about do, do, I, think do I think it's a great yeah I think this is a great honestly it's a really great series i think it's it's really done well and um by the way that they filmed it in camden genuinely like they filmed the scenes in camden market where they they couldn't cut it off because they didn't have that big a budget they had a pretty big budget from apple but so like filming this thing and you know how fucking hectic and mad uh -huh. camden is they just filmed the whole thing like gorilla style in the middle of that place so you know Gold star for that, and I really, really enjoyed it. I think it's great. Gold star for us, professional TV journalists who managed to completely miss this filming on our absolute doorstep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I don't know how they did I it. I probably walked past them getting a kebab at lunchtime or something. You just didn't even mm. notice. Um, I, I really mm. like this as well, actually. And I think, yeah, it's the thing with, with Catastrophe has a lot of sharp edges to it. Like, it's really, mm. really good, but it has some sharp edges. And Breeders, hateful Breeders, is nothing but sharp edges. So uh, what I liked about this is it's much softer. It's just really lovely. Like, it's the, the two of them, Esther and Rafe, are really, really charming. And I think you just, you immediately gravitate to them. You really like them and you totally believe them as a couple. And there's a real affection and tenderness between them. And there, there isn't that sort of like sort of substratus of, of just nastiness or meanness, which may or may not appear in another series um and and i really like that and there's just something quite just lovely and comforting about this this is the kind of thing where you could just watch all of them just feel really like warm and fuzzy afterwards and i think but it's not like this is also just quite throwaways but it's also very well written as you mentioned the uh the lines are really really good there's a there's a small subplot about yogurts which i thought was just delightful <laughs> in the first episode and really really liked it i think some of the some of the gags were nailed on properly funny really well delivered really well written dialogue uh so i think yeah but acting and writing both great so this was a nice this was a nice surprise especially after having sat through a fucking upload for 45 minutes this was a nice time Quite 25 minutes and really good as well. So, yes, enjoyed this a lot. Trying is anything but. And it drops on Apple TV Plus on Friday, the 1st of May. Next, we have Stumptown, based on the comic book series of the same name, which stars Kobe Smulders as Dex Parios, an army vet with acute PTSD who sets herself up as a kind of PI slash fixer slash general gun for hire. Uh, this aired in the US back in September last year, but it makes its way to Alibi here in the UK this week. Uh, boy, there is undoubtedly some kind of cricket reference I could make with the name Stumptown, but since I know nothing about either cricket or sport in general, I'm not even going to try. So did you like it? I did quite like it. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I'm trying to think of the stump. No, I can't think of stump. Anyway, let's not bother. Um, <laughs> it's all about, it's all about her, isn't it? Mm. Kobe Smulders, I think. She is, um, she's just incredibly charismatic and entertaining and funny and ballsy. And she's like, she's got PTSD. So we see these flashbacks to her um, uh, dealing with uh, war situations. And um, she's smart. She's kind of quite outrageous she kind of sleeps with loads of people and you know she gets judged for it by her best mate and um it, it's it's it kind of it, everything that happens in this show borders on cliche and stereotype and yet she's so good and i think the script is just about decent enough um that it's very entertaining and very enjoyable it starts off with this big um scene in a car where i won't give it away but it's a big kind of action set piece and then it sure enough as every tv yeah. show Your does now device. in the world it flashes back three days previously or whatever the fuck it was because you have to do that in TV now um, but even despite all that despite it being quite formulaic um, and it's going to develop into a weekly procedural clearly because mm. at the end of the first episode she's she agrees to, do, to, to become a kind of private detective effectively but I enjoyed it mainly because of her. And I think it's, you know, it's well made. It's it's decent. Um, I don't think, you know, it's not going to be first on my list to watch every week, but I think it was really enjoyable. Because this, this had quite good reviews in the States. And I was looking for, I like this actually less than I thought I would. One thing I did want to ask, there's a scene oh, okay. in this which really shocked me. And I wondered how Terry, there's a bit where at some point a woman gets punched full on in the face just kind of i know mm. and I, there's 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 never a point where seeing that isn't shocking and it, i found it quite jarring in this terry what did you did this did you have the same impact on you i i mean i found that shocking as well but i i agree with um boyd in the main which is you you, you kind of know what you're going to get from a network drama like this right and it does have 
those formulaic bits and she's a damaged woman and she you know but she has some of the tropes of damaged men because she drinks and she gambles and she's promiscuous and she's got this complex past um but i actually think the writing is what elevates this um it's not perfect but there were real moments um where i thought it was great and some of the set pieces, the one Boyd mentioned, the opening scene in this car, it's set in Portland, which again, I should say, I think lifts it out of cliches because it gives it a completely different context and it gives it quite a specific tone. There's a whole bit in this scene where they're talking about coffee blends, which could only happen in something <laughs> set in Portland. <laughs> and then Sweet Caroline kicks in and there's this mad frenetic action scene, which is actually really, really well choreographed and edited which plays out and I think it, it's different enough for it to be interesting but it's 100% Hirsch I think she's incredible she's really charismatic I think she lifts it beyond what it would be with anybody else mm. um, there's lovely kind of more subtle notes a relationship with her brother who has Down syndrome that kind of how they're going to tease out this PTSD thing which is under the bravado um, as Boyd says there, there are kind of enough notes of formula to kind of make you feel like you know what you're getting but there's also enough surprises um mainly through the writing and mainly through her to keep you kind of engaged i suppose um how they build out her character i think will be really interesting across the whole season and how they tease out some of the more interesting elements um but yeah i thought it was pretty good i mean not you know great necessarily <laughs> but i thought it was i thought it was pretty pretty good she she is the best thing in it but it's got it's got a good supporting cast as well it has cameron Mannheim in it she's one of the she's the grumpier police officer who played eleanor frutt in the practice which i banshee last week it also has michael ely in it who plays the kind of love interest slash police officer character and now he's a really good actor he was in sleeper cell which i think i've banshee before and he's awesome he came across in this as quite bland his parts seem quite yeah. underwritten and a bit like they mm. need to do something about that character he needs more to him than just good looking nice guy cop that can't be his character uh, but hopefully he will develop over the course of this first season uh, but certainly in the first episode I felt that, that, that Ely, Ely could do better than that particular role but yeah, yeah I, I, I think maybe I for some reason I saw the good reviews of this night and I thought oh yeah that exciting you know crime Portland blah blah I think again because it wasn't perhaps the gritty crime drama I maybe hoped it would be and it was the slightly more not exactly comedic but lighter toned almost sort of procedural show perhaps that's why I was a little bit disappointed by what it was but as you say it's very well acted very well written if that is your bag then you know I think there's much here to like. Well, with the supporting cast, isn't the because I I completely agree. I think he's completely underwritten and kind of quite forgettable in some respects. And the and you know she blows everybody else mm. off the screen really. So it's I think it's really hard because nobody else is is written at this point. I didn't feel with the same kind of care and texture that she is, which is primarily mm. because it's it's her thing. But she's so brilliant, and when she's on screen. And it's kind of all about her. You're really engaged. And when it's somebody else, yeah. you're kind of not that bothered. <laughs> it's very true. Very true. You just lose interest, don't you, whenever she's off screen. Mm. But uh, anyway, that's Stumptown. And that begins airing on Alibi on Wednesday, April 29th at 9pm. Next, we have Code 404, Sky's new comedy starring Stephen Graham as police officer D.I. Roy Carver, whose partner, 
the unwisely named D.I. John Major, played by Danny Mays, is killed in a shootout only to be resurrected as a kind of shit Robocop. Uh, hot fact for you, a Code 404 is a website hosting error, arguably the most famous of such, and is generated by a server when a user clicks a dead link, also known as a page not found error. Even more interestingly, properly configured websites should avoid these in general, as it's better to employ a 301 permanently moved error or a 410 gone error, but both require special server setup configuration and really few webmasters can properly be asked but i digress terry what is happening <laughs> wow. make it stop terry Robo James. give us the 411 on code 404 <laughs> oh christ look how proud you are of that by the way yeah, that whole he's little so riff. happy you are so happy with yourself oh um so shit robocop was actually something i wrote down whilst watching this show um look I think Sky Comedy, um, original Sky Comedy, it doesn't necessarily have the best kind of uh, track record so far. And actually, I would say, you know, we recently reviewed Hitman. Mm. Hitman? Hitman? Hitman. Hitman. And I, it's no spoiler to say that I enjoyed Hitman a lot more than this. Um, so let me start off by saying... I am a huge Stephen Graham fan, as you know. There is nothing Stephen Graham can't do. There's nothing I don't love him in. Um, but this, I found a real struggle. So the basic gist is, as you said, they're, they're partners. They're in this undercover sting. It's the thing that opens the show. Goes wrong. He's killed on the job. And his body is fast-tracked into this new um, AI project. A year later, he's brought back from the dead and he's 90% human, 10% AI. Um, but things are a bit wonky and he's essentially now shit Robocop. So I think one of the criminals says, um, if anything, he's just come back a bit shit, which is kind of the premise of it that he's now a bit shit. Um, uh I'll start with the good things, which is I think their chemistry is good. Um, I think they have worked together before, might be friends in real life, and there is a nice kind of intimacy between Stephen Graham and Daniel Mays. Um, the real problem is, for me, the writing. Um, it just feels so hit and miss. Some of it really just doesn't land. There's a bit of a fun piece with some cocaine, <laughs> which actually did make me laugh. Um, uh, but the meat and potatoes of the script just doesn't zing for me. And it just isn't. When you think about some of the great comedies we talk about on this podcast every week, apparently not this week, but on this podcast every <laughs> week, um, and that's going out on telly at the moment, it just doesn't stand up to it. Mm. Um, you know, you've got Anna Maxwell Martin in there as his wife, who is one of the great, you know, comedic actors, I think, working on British telly today. Based on what we saw in the first episode, she doesn't get much to do at all. Um, she felt completely wasted to me. Um, I just I just didn't think this was funny enough, I have to say, or that the writing was really up to scratch. Um, I found this uh, really laboured. And as I say, when you've got something like Hitmen, which I think shows how you can do something quite interesting um, with really punchy writing, which kind of sees you through, this really paled for me in comparison. I will, I will say, and I agree with you on every point there, I do think Stephen Graham, fair play to him, does an incredible job with the material he's given. So he's largely placed the straight oh man God. in this. But... And I laughed in this twice, and it was both at Stephen Graham's delivery. There was an Oster Pistorius gag that 
really made me chuckle. And then there is a use of the word bellend. And I think that particular <laughs> moment and then the moment directly following that properly made me laugh out loud. And again, it's just Graham deadpan straight manning it. And it's just really, really funny. But yeah, I completely agree. The material just really isn't there for this. And I found Danny Mays, who is good in many things, but this is not one of them. Uh, and he, I think he's supposed to be a, a bit shit and a bit annoying, but he really is both of those things. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I struggled to get to the end of this. Yeah, um, disappointing. Yeah, I mean this level, this amount of talent. I mean, performing talent, you know, in in a show. And I think that you know that it is it is basically um, these two guys who are friends in real life. I think you're right. And you know, the idea, the concept of getting these two guys who've been in, who've both been in brilliant um, TV crime dramas, and are both capable of of, of famous being in very quite intense, you know, actors um, and and keep very authentic um, and throwing them together in a spoof cop show, high concept cop show. I, I'm fully on board with the whole idea of it. And it is a bit similar, isn't it, to what they've done with Hitman and taking mm. Mel and Sue, obviously real life friends. But I think Hitman just, Hitman just feels like it's been worked through better than this show. This show feels like... It's like everyone's they've almost gone. And I'm sure this isn't the case, but it just when you're watching it, it's like oh, we've got these two brilliant, brilliant actors and Anna Maximati. It'll be fine. They'll be so great. They'll be so funny that actually the stuff we come up with, I don't know. It's just not. It's just the dialogue is not funny enough, mm. and um, the joke there aren't that many funny jokes. And because Stephen Graham is playing it straight, so he he gets you know he's basically constantly telling um, Danny Mace to shut the fuck up, basically <laughs> like Robert De Niro in Midnight Run, which was on this week. So I'm reminding you of that. Um, and, it's, and he's great at doing that, and it's funny. He is he's good, but Danny Mace is ratcheting it up to the max, mm. isn't he? He is fucking. I mean, obviously directed that way, and it's supposed to, and that's the character. Absolutely absolute balls to the wall full-on performance but it doesn't quite gel they don't gel somehow and and so it's not it's so even the chemistry you think you'd get with these two real life brilliant actor friends even that isn't quite working i think in the in the two episodes that i saw so yeah it's it's a disappointment i have to say and i think you know i'm fully in favor of goofy i think sky's getting better and better at comedy i liked intelligence the david schwimmer show which i don't think you like that much yeah i know i I still liked it i liked it i'm sorry i thought it was funny but this isn't this isn't as funny as that either yeah yeah. well i mean as you know i'm i'm not a fan of the humor at the best of times but uh (laughs) the humor this this was certainly not one of the rare exceptions but code 404 begins on sky one on wednesday the 29th at 10 p.m Uh, And finally this week, we have season two of Channel 5's Blood, which, while not officially one of the shows we plan to review this week, we really, really liked series one uh, and thought it would be a shame to let the show's return go unheralded. So Boyd and Terry, unfortunately not me, did watch this one to give you the lowdown. If you don't remember, this is an excellent series created by Sophie Petzl and stars Adrian Dunbar, Ted Hastings himself, and Carolina Maine. And the first series began when Maine's Fiona returns home to Westmeath after after her mother's sudden death, whereupon many old buried secrets were unearthed. Boyd, does series two measure up to the first one? I I think so. Yeah. So I think Sophie Petz has done a really clever thing with this. I think um, we won't. I think people. A lot of people won't yet have watched Blood no, so Series One, and it is all on Channel Fives. Yeah. So I won't spoil it at all, except to say that it could completely have been a self-contained um, series, you know, a limited series, because it's it's a, it's a story with a beginning, middle, and end, and it revolved around, you know, was um, Agent Dunbar's character a wrong or not? Did he kill um, his wife? Which is what his daughter suspected, and the whole thing was 
focused on her being paranoid or is she about what he's done to his to his wife um and that was revolved in, in a really interesting and believable way and i think what this show does i think we've mentioned this quite a few times recently about some shows um manage to be completely gripping as a thriller um and uh, also work in terms of realism and i think she's got that trick she's she's she she does that really well so i think everything that happens even though some quite you know extreme outrageous unpredictable twisty things happen throughout both series 1 and this series um but she makes it absolutely believable and i think she's very good at creating real characters um the whole everyone in this family the, everyone's got secrets and everyone's got issues some some more serious than others but it's it is nevertheless believable they're all kind of living quite tense existences if you like and the and the shift the focus this time is much is on fiona played by granny keenan um his eldest daughter um adrian dunbar's character's eldest daughter whereas in the first one it was the youngest and she's brilliant she's absolutely brilliant at playing this one and the, the very first scene she's in a big car crash and then it does do the thing where it starts off and then it's all and then it flashes back it plays with time um in, in a very clever way without signaling it too heavily and um it involved and, and the way that adrian dunbar's character is embroiled in a new kind of thriller element and a new kind of um uh crime element is very interesting and different so it's very different to the first series i think um you're trying to work out how did this car crash happen what did it mean why is she why why did she get involved in it what's his connection to it and it's so it's all that it's like explaining how this thing happened and why throughout these six episodes and i just thought it was really clever and what and i i watched the first episode and i thought oh this is as good as the first series because the characters are believable the situation works the writing's really really good and then i watched episode 2 which has just a moment where you're suddenly um, see the characters in a whole new light and you're like oh that really bowled me over and I thought from episode two onwards I was like oh I'm absolutely I'm really I was in I was in an episode one but from episode two onwards, I was like this is really great and it's it's just treading it feels like it's treading new ground and it feels different and yet it's using these characters we um were fascinated by in the first series in a whole new and really really intriguing way so I think it's really good yeah yeah, but I mean, Boyd's bang on. Um, this is, there's enough kind of connective tissue, the intensity, how dark it is with the first one. I remember Sarah Hughes in The Guardian, I think she she talked about how the first one was almost like a Western at points. Um, and this one is kind of feels more like a, a gangster film. There's almost in episode two, there's a bit which is like, there's echoes of The Long Good Friday. It It's... What's really interesting about Sophie Petzl, who I think is a genius, I think she was, what, like 28 <laughs> when the first season came out? Like, she's this brilliant young writer, um, is that she creates this this thriller, this family drama. It just completely fucks with conventions of the genre. And I think the second season does so in, a, in quite a different way to the first season. And while there's a central mystery to both of those seasons, everything else around it is is kind of you do have a, a this thriller but you also have this really compelling family drama and and as Boyd says she writes real characters so brilliantly she knows how to write women but she doesn't just know how to write women she writes brilliantly fleshed out real characters every single one of those characters is believable and interesting but also as Boyd says totally surprising there are moments in the second episode and Boyd had said to me make sure you watch the second one and I understand now why now why and I understand <laughs> why now because she just kind of wrong foots you with these people that you thought you knew um I think she's 
a genius, I have to say. I think she's a brilliant writer. I think she makes um, characters in such an interesting way. And I think you can't underestimate how revolutionary that was when you think this was Channel 5's first kind of foray into scripted proper prestige scripted drama and they could have played it safe they would have been forgiven for playing it safe but to Mm. get a young writer like Sophie allow her to really push the boundaries um with the genre work with the characters with what happens I think it's really bold um and I think when it came out it may have been underestimated a little bit I really hope if people didn't watch the first season first time around that they go back and give it a go and definitely come in for the second I think this is great and honestly I think if it was on any other channel than channel five it would be a much bigger hit and much more talked about than it is currently Sophie Petzl who of course wrote episodes of The Last Kingdom it always comes back to the she Vikings series. it always comes back to the Vikings right. I yeah I think she's great and I, I really enjoyed the first of this I haven't watched this one yet but I very much intend to uh, that is series 2 of Blood which lands on channel 5 on today on today on monday april 27th at 9 p.m it lands on today it is here now today now and it's stripped across the week so it's showing every night this week um with a double bill um on friday oh exciting stuff to round off exciting stuff also out this week of course is the last kingdom but i've already talked about that so we won't get into that again but dispatches from elsewhere so this is a big show uh which aired i want to say on amc in the u.s uh, this was jason siegel richard grant sally field and it's kind of a big deal and a big show and we would have reviewed that this week except it airs and, and this right so it's on amc uk but i'm right in saying boy this is only available to people who subscribe to bt tv yeah, basically, um, AMC's been around a while, the, the British version, um, and, and it used to be available on Sky as well, but it's it's not now. It's, it's now an exclusive BT um, BT offering, yeah, which is weird, but they are, you know, there, there are channels on Virgin, I think, also that are exclusive yeah. to, to, so some platforms like to have one channel. I mean, Sky Atlantic, as far as I'm aware, still isn't available on, I may be wrong about that, on BT, but it wasn't for years and years. So, yeah, it's their kind of exclusive channel. And AMC, of course, is the host, is, is the home of a lot of brilliant shows, but most of the brilliant its best shows end up on either yeah, Fox or Sky AMC, or whatever, it? or Netflix. Yeah, Best yeah, Call Saul, in fact. Um, so it is a weird one that it's only available to BT, to BT customers, yeah. Yeah, so we didn't review it partly because only about eight people surely are BTTV customers, but uh, but it is supposed to be very good. It had some good reviews. It's kind of a it's a slightly odd show uh, about a bunch of people who feel there's something strange in their lives, and these four people stumble across a puzzle, uh, which is sort of uh, and their eyes are open to this world of other things. I won't spoil it, but it's a bit twisty turny. Have either of you seen it? Yeah, I watched it. I watched the first episode. Yeah, it's it's got a really interesting um, premise. Um, it's definitely like it, it feels like it's in you know. There's definitely a group of shows um, at the moment or in recent times that are dealing with big questions about what it is to be human. You know, fate, devs. You know, the OA, all yeah. of that stuff. It's kind of in that almost in that realm of. And what's the one the um, the one we did recently on um, Amazon Prime? Tales from the you Loop know, with the mach- Tales from the Loop. Right, it's in that realm definitely of a weird 
thing where people are living a strange existence and they're trying to work out what the fuck is going on, basically. And this guy, um, he's kind of like, he's an, he's another everyman. He's definitely, he's in a dead end job. He's unbelievably kind of blank, actually. And that, but definitely deliberately a blank slate, um, who is then immersed in this world of a game. And it's based on a documentary of a real thing that actually happened, by the way, if, which is, which I, I haven't explored. I need to watch that documentary because I need to work out the connection between that and whatever the hell's happening in this. Um, the cast is really good. Sally Field is, is brilliant. She arrives kind of halfway through the episode and she enlivens the whole thing. And Richard E. Grant, the beginning is brilliant because Richard E. Grant arrives on screen. I mean, this is literally the very first moment and he's not saying anything. Nothing happens. And you're like, what? I thought there was a technical hitch with my link, with my screener link from AMC. But it's deliberate. And then he goes, ah, yes, I have kept you waiting. And then he begins and explains what that he begins the game, if you like. It's like the game that David Fincher really film. Like got a lot in common with that, mm. in fact. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a bit like the game meets something else. Yeah. Um, it's it's an oddity, I would say, um, and I, but I'm fascinated by it, and I'm definitely going to carry on watching it. I think you'll probably like it. Mm. I think it, it's definitely better. I preferred it to Tales from the Loop. It, it feels say. like quite a me show. I would say anyone who does have BTTV, both of you, uh, you should definitely check this out. <laughs> uh, this, this drops on AMC UK on Wednesday, yeah. April 29th at 9pm. That is Dispatches from Elsewhere. Um, so what would be our pick of the week? Terry, what would be yours? Um, my pick of the week would be Blood. Boyd. Yeah, it's got to be Blood. I haven't seen Blood yet, yeah. so I can't comment. So mine... You should have watched yeah, Blood. Yeah, I apologise. Yeah. Mine is trying at the moment because I enjoyed that, but uh, I haven't seen Blood, so it could oh, be Blood. Oh, trying is great as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah trying is great. Is there anything else out this week? Do we miss anything? Any also outs, Boyd? Yeah, I mean, Ryan Murphy's big new series, Hollywood, which is a lavish, yes. which I've seen, but is embargoed uh, for review. So the only reason we're not doing that in a bumper week, it's another bumper week for big shows, but that arrives on Friday in full on Netflix and is... I, I can't say. Well, we can see it. We can't talk about it. Yeah. It's set in the golden age of Hollywood, post-Hollywood. It's got the usual array of brilliant actors um, in it. Patty Lupone's in it. I pick her out because she's playing an incredibly fascinating role. Um, and it's all about imagining um, kind of the CD. Uh, behind the scenes what was going on behind the scenes of the glitz and glamour of Hollywood um, and it's really interesting it's based on real things so Rock Hudson pops up you know in it it's I, it's like honestly it's fascinating but I, we can't say we can't review it properly but that, that drops that's the and go to adjective isn't it that's well. the go to embargo adjective yeah. it's fascinating because I can't say whether it's good it's or fascinating. bad fascinating <laughs> yeah Van der Volk which is ITV's big primetime new cop drama, um, a remake of the 70s. I remember Van der Volk in the 70s, and that stars uh, Mark Warren. That launched yesterday, and that's a big deal. Probably do really well in the ratings, um, but has had, I would say, middling reviews. We didn't have time for that. And there's also um, oh, the, the, the Medici show that right, that's back as well. Yeah. So I'm just rifling through my magazine. Huh. Majici the Magnificent, that's back on Netflix on Friday as well for its third season. I think we might have reviewed one of those. I, can't I think we did. I don't think we thought yeah. it was Magnificent. No, it's not Magnificent, no. But it is back for the fans of that show. Exciting stuff. Right, shall we, before we depart, do a quick banshee? Yes. Pull out a classic show that we'd like to recommend. Um, who wants to go first? I'll Terry. go first. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this week I am going to banshee Witless, which I'm pretty sure we haven't bansheed before. I don't think so. Please God. Um, so I've got quite into my um, older BBC comedies um, 
recently in lockdown. And this is from 2016. It was one of the first comedies um, from BBC Three after it went online only, starring Kerry Howard and Zoe Boyle. They're two flatmates who witness a murder and get forced into a, just a really shit witness protection which i'm getting guessing where is the witless comes from Hmm. they end up in some council flat in swindon it's not your you know slick glossy sexy version of witness protection we're used to seeing um people often refer to it as the female version of the wrong man's i don't know if you remember that which was the james corden and matthew bainton yeah from 2014 um I really love this and it was just really stupid and funny. There's a brilliant recurring bit in it. I think it's every episode where John Inverdale is the host of a video about <laughs> witness protection. They're kind of shown this to get them up to speed with what witness protection is. Um, and it's just, he's on it every time. It's this like shit video, um, almost like a, a training video. It's really funny. It's it's just got some really interesting ways in which it's actually edited. And it's just really funny on kind of what a small town parochial version of witness protection would look like. For me, the standout, and this is Kerry Howard, um, who obviously was in Him and Her, who I just think is hilarious. She's really brilliant. And Zoe Boyle is kind of more of a straight man um, against her. This is all on iPlayer. It was three seasons, I believe. Um, so you can go and watch the entire thing now. I was a big. I was great. I really liked Witless. Yeah, it was really funny. Um, I. Well, I'm picking. I was thinking of other Lenny James shows. I was thinking of. It's funny because um, Terry was talking about watching season one, series one of uh, Line of Duty, and you forget Lenny James was the was the focus mm. of that. He was also in a really good. I was flicking through um, uh, Channel Four, Channel Four's All Four offering, um, and he is in a show called Buried, which was a really good um, prison set drama um, years ago in uh, 2003. And by incredible coincidence, genuinely, someone also tweeted me about it today. Um, Mike Daisley tweeted tweeted me and Terry about it did you ever see Lenny James series called Buried on Channel 4 um, it was a really good it was from world productions who are famously good at doing gritty um, realistic crime dramas and this was another one he was um, he was basically following his life in prison and he was a first time prisoner from a kind he was a, a, a nice normal family man but he had he was sentenced for 10 years um, for defending his sister from a rapist so he was kind of you know he was a criminal but from a, from a, from a moral point of view and it was a kind of bold full-on um really good show and he was fantastic in it and uh it's on all four now so yeah buried buried indeed um mine isn't really a proper banshee in in the state i'm, I'm covered because you're both going to roll your eyes do it, but the only reason i can do it oh, we is go. because someone on twitter was saying oh you should do this because i don't think people have seen it i'm like i think people have seen it and and but i was like okay well if they haven't i'm gonna say so state of play which I think it's, it's famously one of the best miniseries ever made. So I think most people should have seen it. But on the off chance you have not seen State of Play or you've only seen the American movie starring Russell Crowe and Ben Affleck, which is nowhere near as good. Uh, this aired on BBC One in 2003. Six-part miniseries. Um created by Paul Abbott, who worked on Cracker, directed by David Yates, who many people believe ruined Harry Potter. But this was, uh, this was, this was, this really good. John Sim is in this. David Morrissey is in it. Uh, Kelly McDonald, James McAvoy, uh, Bill Nye's in this as well. Really, really good people in this. And it's just, it's a, it's a, a sort of a murder mystery where a journalist, which is John Sim, is investigating the murder of a teenager. Uh, and he gets drawn into a kind of, uh, political 
whodunit conspiracy thing uh, involving an old friend of his who's an MP. And it's just incredibly edge-of-your-seat tense stuff. And it's absolutely amazing. But the, the most amazing part of this, it is A, one of the greatest miniseries ever created, and B, it is available from Computer Exchange for 50p. You can literally order the DVD box set for 50p. Frankly, do it. Whether you've seen it or not, do it. Just have this in your collection because it's amazing. Uh, you can also buy the episodes, I think, on, on Apple and Google as well. But I should mention this again. 50p. You can get it for 50p. It's six parts and it's brilliant. No excuse not to see that. State of play. 50p. Well, it is. It, and as you say, it's famously one yeah. of the great TV shows. So it seems completely appropriate for Banshee, <laughs> as opposed to you just trying yeah. to bend the rules to your will once yeah. more. Yeah. Next week, Friends. <laughs> A little known sitcom that you may or may not have heard of. <laughs> yes, yes, very funny. Okay, and on that note, that is it for another episode of the Pilot TV podcast. We hope you've gleaned some helpful tips to guide you through next week's endless sea of new television. As ever, we're on social media at James C. Dyer, at Boyd Hilton, and at Terry underscore White. And if you'd like to show your appreciation, then why not leave us a five star rating on Apple Podcasts saying how much you like the show? And please do fill out our spoiler special podcast survey at empireonline.com slash podcast survey and let us know what you think of the subscription channel. Of course, if you really want to show your appreciation, why not give the spoiler specials a try? Which you can do at glow.fm slash empirefilm. Uh, and as well as the film specials, as we said, you'll find some glorious pilot TV crossover ones in there. The most recent one, Save Me, Mandalorian. And of course, the unmissable Picard spoiler special featuring me and also the legend that is Sir Patrick Stewart, conducted, of course, in Klingon, about the magnificent interstellar Picard season one. Make it so. Pile us out. <laughs> <laughs>